welcome back, and you are listening to Yes, That Actually Happened, which features historical events that will often leave you scratching your head. I'm your host, Erin, and today we are joined again by Jay. Hi. Who hosts the podcast, High School Author Wannabe. Jay, I know you're very excited about today's topic. I I am. I like to think I have a little bit of knowledge about it, but we'll see how that goes. Well, feel free to hop in whenever you feel like it. Uh, Today's topic focuses on women throughout history who pretended to be men for various reasons. This includes ones who only did so briefly, and then ones who did it as long stretches of time or even their entire life. So if you listen to this and enjoy the show at the end, we will discuss how you can help support our podcast with ideas, reviews, or sponsorships, as well as a sneak peek at our next episode. I want to point out that unless there is significant documentation that states why the woman chose to do this, I will not be making assumptions, especially if there is less as evidence and more speculation. We know there could be a variety of reasons women choose to do this at the time. I might offer what current historians have suggested, but with that, let's get started. I will be making lots of assumptions. Jay will help me with the assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> so the first section is several women who dressed as men for the same reason to participate in war. Now, I know many women in different countries participate in wars, uprisings, and rebellions. This is more women who dressed as men, took male names, and joined an organized army. Like Mulan. Yes, Mulan does have an extensive lore behind it. However, it cannot be identified as a true story, so I am not going to be discussing that. This actually surprised me researching it, but there are a lot of women who did this. I only have a few I'm going to talk about, but if anyone is interested, I would encourage you to research the numerous stories out there. The first one is Deborah Sampson, who was one of the first women to join the army as a man within the United States. Deborah was born in 1760, and she took part in the American Revolution in 1782 as Robert Shurtiff. Her reasons seemed to be she really believed in the cause, and it did offer her a way to get paid. That's fair. She managed to make it work until 1783, where she got sick, and the doctor treating her realized that she was actually a woman, although he didn't reveal it until a few months later. That's kind of nice. I'm surprised he didn't, was like, hey, um, uh, that's not a, that's, that's not a man. Do I, what do I do here? He he did actually, he was the one who actually revealed her, but it was, wasn't when she was sick, and she actually ended up having a bullet wound in her leg that because she didn't want to go to the doctor and have them discover that she actually dug that bullet out with a pen knife and a sewing needle what a badass and she never really was able to walk quite the same again well yeah (laughs) she ended up being honorably discharged and received a full military pension got married had three children and died in 1827 at 66 and her husband actually campaigned after her death to receive spousal benefits and won impressive yeah i'm surprised that they were so lenient on it and we're like no it a lot of them seem to have honorable discharges and there are obviously some that were dishonorable it kind of just seemed to depend on the case-to-case basis yeah our second woman is hannah snell who was born in 1723 in england and joined the military as james gray she had been married with a daughter but before she gave birth her husband abandoned her She ended up joining after her daughter died. She actually was quite active in battle and was shot in the groin and went to a local woman so she wouldn't be revealed rather than going to an actual doctor. That would hurt so bad. Yes. It seems like getting injured was a great way to get caught. Although I would think that living that closely with men in battlefield conditions, there would be many other ways you could get caught. That's true. It's, it was quite interesting. Uh, it's so stressful. Imagine how you're at war and also you're like, 
probably binding 24-7. Yeah. You'd definitely have. I don't think that would be that bad then, because didn't they wear corsets then anyways? I guess so. But it still would be so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine being able to do that. Uh, She ended up selling her story after choosing to reveal herself and was still honorably discharged and received a pension. She later married and had children. On another side note, the Civil War also saw a ton of women entering as men for various reasons, many because they wanted to join their husbands rather than be left at home. It was estimated that about 400 women joined the Civil War as men. This includes Melinda Blacklock, who fought with her husband Keith, first as a Confederate and then as scouts for the Union Army. If I was married, I don't think I would be like, oh, you're going off to war? Let me just join you. I'd be like, oh, man, that... Um Come home to me. Don't get shot. I guess I, I can see where they're coming from, though. Think about it back then. You're, you're only be able to communicate them with letters. You're not able to see them for long stretches of time. You have no idea how long this is going to drag on. That's true, but... I still would I not be I would be too lazy it. to go fight in the war. I'd be like, A, I'll take care happening. of the home. <laughs> B, we've got, like, six dogs here. Because in this reality, I would have lots of dogs still. Okay. Someone's got to take care of them. (laughs) Moving on from women in war, we have a category of women who wanted to participate in an activity banned from them. With this, I think of the movie She's the Man with Amanda Bynes. such a good movie. It's a hysterical movie, but to be honest, I never saw it as really realistic. I don't think I would have seen her pretending to be her brother and fallen for it. Mm, No, but it's my parent. My dad really loves that movie. He quotes it all the time. That's... It's so funny. Now, there are many women writers who assumed male pen names for publication purposes because women writers weren't taken as seriously and they wouldn't have been published, like Marianne Evans, who used George Eliot, the Bronte sisters, Louisa May Alcott, and many others. But I want to focus more on women who actually adopted a male persona in public, with one slight exception because it's a great story. So first we have Margaret Ann Bulkley, who was born in Ireland in 1792. She took the name James Berry in order to enter in a university, something women were not allowed to do, and she studied medicine, eventually becoming Dr. James Berry. Hmm. That's kind of fun. Yeah, I guess uh, there was an issue when she first attempted to gain entrance to university. They thought James Berry was actually a young kid, a prepubescent teen, <laughs> because she didn't sound or look like a man at the time. That's pretty. Actually, that's pretty funny. You're like... Mm, aren't you 12? <laughs> kind of, exactly what <laughs> it is. It's not like, oh, you're obviously a woman. It's, you're, you're, you're not an adult here. Tiny, where's your mom? Okay, go find her, little boy. You can come back in a few years. Uh, she was the first woman doctor in Britain, even though obviously people didn't know she was a woman. She also went into the army after she was part of the Royal College of Surgeons in 1813. She was the personal surgeon to Lord Charles Somerset, and there were rumors and even accusations based on the relationship between Barry and Somerset. None of this is substantiated, although it was <laughs> would have been considered illegal at the time since these rumors and accusations were based on Dr. James Barry and Lord Somerset versus Margaret Ann Buckley yeah. and Somerset. Do you think that the Lord guy... Like, only started after, like, he somehow found out, or before was like, oh, shit, I have a hot doctor. Oh, you're a woman? All right, that's fine, I guess. 
I mean, again, none of this is actually substantiated, so I don't really want to say one way or the other because there was no actual proof that anything actually happened. Maybe they were just really close. Maybe they were in a relationship. Maybe he knew about it. Maybe he didn't. Who knows? It wasn't until she died, though, and they were preparing the body that they dis- discovered Dr. James Berry was actually a woman. That's commitment right there. It's pretty impressive. Yes. Uh, So she was successful. I'm assuming had they discovered her identity, she would have been pushed out of her career. And I will say that there seemed to be the most interest in wanting to become a doctor and a surgeon, which she wouldn't have been able to beforehand. However, many contemporary scholars are considering whether she might have actually been intersex, meaning born with both male and female parts. Although, again, impossible Hmm. to know for all the documentation. That'd be interesting, though. That'd be cool. Anyone interested in the story, um, there are many sources, as well as a drama documentary on BBC and a lot of historical fiction. Next, we have Catherine Switzer, who was born in 1947 and is still alive. She is an avid marathon runner, and this story focuses on her running the Boston Marathon of 1967. Dang. How old is she now? Well, she was born in 1947. I don't know how to do math. So, like, 70s. Oh, all right. Still kicking. Yes. So this one is the different story that she didn't actually adopt a male persona per se. But again, Mm -hmm. there was... Personally, I'm not a fan of running. I (laughs) hate running. I'm pretty (laughs) sure it would kill me. Um, The Boston Marathon began in 1897. And until 1967, they did not have an official rule against women. But it was sort of implied that women shouldn't run in it. Yeah. So, the year before Switzer entered, in 1966, a woman named Bobby Gibb tried to register, but was refused because women were deemed incapable of running 26 miles. Okay. I mean, I'm incapable of running 26 miles. Are you an avid marathoner? I am not. That's probably what's stopping you. (laughs) The Boston Marathon does allow unregistered people to run in the race, and she ended up running in the race, but it wasn't official valid registration. Hmm. Now, this is important because Switzer, again, entered the year after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, She does ask that anyone interested in her story focus on her own words from her memoir, Marathon Woman, rather than just hearsay or Mm -hmm. exaggeration. So, Switzer was encouraged to join by her coach, Arnie Briggs, who took her under his wing when she trained unofficially with the men's cross-country team since there was no women's team at Syracuse University. Mm Mm-hmm. Even though he was coaching her for running, he initially didn't want her to do the marathon, also believing women could not do that. He agreed after they did a 26-trial-mile run, and they ended up doing another five miles just to be sure, and he passed out after they finished. Oh, my gosh. So, like, she was fine. A woman can run? What? What can they do next? Breathe manually? I don't understand. But again, he was pretty supportive. Like, he said, you know, if you can do this, we'll do it. So he said, yes, let's do this. So again, this is where the differences occur. So in Switzer's memoir, they checked the rule book. There was no official rule that women could not run. Mm -hmm. But the kicker here is she registered as K.V. Switzer. Oh, smart. So she only used her initials. So again, Bobby, the year before, was denied entry because she was female. I'm assuming the marathon organizers just assumed KV Switzer was a male. Mm-hmm. I mean, she even noted that she was wearing lipstick when she first started the marathon. Because, you know. Why? Because she wanted to. It's going to sweat off. It, you know what? She's running a marathon. She can do what she wants That's to do. That's true. It would sweat off. Isn't that, That's what uh, J.K. Rowling did as well. 
Yeah, exactly. She changed it so that people would be like, oh, a woman author? I don't want to read that book. Exactly. So, and actually she noted that many of the male participants were really supportive of her. Because everyone else was probably like, okay, I'm just here to run. (laughs) Um, However, not everyone approved. And this is a direct quote from Switzer's memoir. A big man, a huge man, with bared teeth was set to pounce, and before I could react, he grabbed my shoulders and flung me back, screaming, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers. Thence, he swiped on my front, trying to rip off my big number, just as I leapt backwards from him. You're just running. You this, don't even have to look at her. This wasn't a contestant. This was Jock Semple, a race manager, who was only stopped by Switzer's then-boyfriend knocking him over. There is actually a really famous picture of this. You can see the guy actually yanking on her from behind Mm -hmm. and the boyfriend running up and kind of slamming into him. And I'm assuming the coach behind them also trying to help because her coach did participate in the marathon as well. She wearing sweats? It was, it's cold when they run. I guess It's like stuff like that. She actually talked about how he ripped one of her gloves off and her fingers were so cold after that. Her little hand falls off. Uh, After this race, rules were changed by the AEU to prevent women from running running in these races. Switzer was disqualified, but she did finish successfully. And do you know when they changed it back? No, I didn't look into that. (laughs) Obviously, it's changed, but... Yeah. They still allow unofficial racers to run, though. It's it's the unique thing that Boston does that a lot of other races don't do. Does that mean you can just jump in? Mm Mm-hmm. Huh. You just obviously won't be a registered time or anything. So our third section is kind of more of the ambiguous stories. This is where I get to make wild assumptions. Catalina de Russo was born in Spain in 1585, although the exact date isn't certain. Common, obviously, in the early modern Europe, where documentation was always consistent and items didn't often survive. I actually learned about her from one of my history classes in college. I like her name. That's a good name. Catalina, I dig that. So during this time, girls were often put in nunneries by their family at a very young age. Of reasons being, it's cheaper often to enter a nunnery than a dowry for marriage. So if you have a lot of girls, it's sometimes a little cheaper to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Some women actually enjoyed this. You know, they wouldn't be subservient to a father, brother, or husband. They could have a nice devotion into their religion and a chance for a really good education that even higher-born noble girls wouldn't often get. Mm -hmm. Some weren't so happy, and this is where Catalina falls. So she was put in this nunnery by her family, and she hated it. She was beaten at 15 and escaped by stealing keys, fashioning boys' clothes for herself. Then she traveled around Spain doing various jobs, including a secretary, page, servant. There was one instance where her own father didn't recognize her when he was asking around trying to find her, and was physically talking to her. Mm-hmm. Dang. She was often involved in many relationships with women, becoming betrothed, and often taking advantage of the situation and running off with their money and items. What an icon. <laughs> she got into a lot of fights, killed a lot of people, wound up in jail numerous times. She actually claimed sanctuary at church to avoid being arrested for killing her brother, although she didn't realize it was her brother until after he was dead. How did she not know? I guess... Again, she went to a nunnery when she was really young. That's fair. Went to the Americas, was eventually found out, and was able to petition a pardon from the Pope based on her services to Christianity and the fact that she was still a virgin. How do you... Did they have to check that? They they can check that, yes. 
It's not always right. (laughs) She has a biography where she talks about her adventures. It's a very fascinating read called Lieutenant Nun. Mm -hmm. I will say a lot of people wonder how accurate completely it is. They're not sure if she wrote it or if she had someone write it for her. And it does sound very braggy about a lot of her stuff. It's very, very heavily masculine. You can tell she completely adopted this masculine persona. So again, why she wanted to do it wasn't necessarily just to escape the convent. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, a lot of debate, debate about her gender and sexual identity by historians. I could see that being like a She killed really... a lot of people. Maybe. There were fights over card games, over insults. She Maybe. very much was like that persona. You know, I'm not going to say that... She might have been a trans guy that just had a big ego, but that is what I'm saying. It's probably the most consensus I've read so far. Our last but not least is Saint Marina. So Marina was a bit of a mystery. We're not sure of her exact birth or exactly her whole story. She was born around the 5th century. Marina was very religious, as many were during that time. She was raised by her father after her mother passed. And he intended to have her marry when he was going to go into the monastery and become a monk. Mm -hmm. Um, Marina did not want to get married and decided to do the same, dressed as a man, and entered the monastery with her father under the name Marino. When she was in the monastery, there was an occasion where she and a few fellow monks had to go do something, go traveling. They ended up staying at an inn. Mm -hmm. The innkeeper's daughter ended up pregnant and accused Marina of impregnating her. <laughs> I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, that's not possible physically, but, like, we don't need to talk about it anymore. So you can just trust that it it wasn't me. That's not what happened. That's not what happened? No. She acknowledged that she was not necessarily a great Christian, And instead of denying or explaining why this would be impossible, Marino actually adopted the boy and raised him after being expelled from the monastery because obviously couldn't stay in the monastery once that they thought that that had occurred. Yeah, because it's either A, yes, I did that, even though I didn't, or B, I'm actually a woman. (laughs) Yes. So expelled from the monastery, raised the boy as their own, and then got to be allowed to go back to the monastery and completed hard labor and lots of penance for it. Mm-hmm. Son went with her and became a monk as well. Cute little family. She adopted this random child. It wasn't until that, again, Marino died that they realized that Marino was actually Maria. Hmm. Oh, man, we shouldn't have, maybe we shouldn't have had them do all that hard labor. That was, <laughs> that was too far. I mean, they are a saint now, so. And there are actually still cases of this kind of thing occurring. In many ways, it's harder since there's more ways to check identity, pictures, videos. But in other ways, there is anonymity with social media, catfishing, fake profiles. Uh, there are actually cases in the last decade where someone went to jail for doing this because of things they did while pretending to be a man. They deserve to go to jail. Pretending to be a man in any of these cases would have been extremely difficult, as we said before, in certain instances where they're in a monastery or in battle, where they're stuck around men all the time, Ugh, the wrapping, of, <laughs> wrapping of the chest, you know, going to the bathroom. It's, it's a lot of complications to 
be able to keep that up. But again, you know, some of them clearly had different reasons than others. Passing is so hard, though. (laughs) I'm so surprised they did it without anything that we have today. Yeah, but again, I feel like it would be harder today than it would be back then. Because again, you have a little bit easier to check identity. You know, you can find information in a snap. That's true. I just mean in general, like, looking masculine and passing as it is I can be pretty difficult. Yeah, I guess, but women also back then were a lot smaller than they are today. Um average height seemed to be closer to my size at 5 foot than the average nowadays. So, um just all tiny. <laughs> Little babies. <laughs> so, if you have further questions on the topics that we've discussed, would like some source material to do your own research, you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. If you would like to support us and get access to fun show notes, doodles, and potential bloopers, find us on Buy Me a Coffee website. For further questions, sponsorship offers, or episode ideas, email us at yes, that actually happened podcast at gmail.com. On our next episode, we will have a very interesting story involving espionage. But you will have to wait and listen to find out the subject. What? Thank you again for listening to Yes, That Actually Happened. Bye. Bye.